Hi everyone and welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous Special Focus 100 Pounders Group Meeting. Today is Wednesday the 22nd of March 2023. Today I'm delighted to introduce Lee W. Lee first came to our way in January 2022. Lee comes from Derbyshire but currently lives in South London. I'm excited to hear her share her experience, strength and hope with us today. Lee, I'm delighted to hand over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. I love being the other Lee in this meeting. Thank you, for the main Lee, for all your service. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Lee, compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be in recovery one day at a time. Um, I'm going to just tell you a bit about my journey before OA, how I got here and my recovery since then. Um, I just wanted to start by just sharing a quick picture. Uh, as a hundred pounder. So the picture on the left was me um, a few days before I just got to the end and somehow found OA. I'll tell you more about that shortly. And the second picture um, was last week in Hyde Park with my son, the same boy that's in the first picture. And um, I was in the first picture 144 kilograms, which is 317 pounds. And I have lost 114 pounds. Um, I'm going to stop sharing now. Physical bit done. Uh, most of my story is about emotional and spiritual recovery. Um, and I'm going to try and just keep it quite practical what it actually looks like day to day living in recovery for me. And I just wanted to say a special hello to any newcomers. Um, you're definitely the most important people here. And all I can really do is, is share my experience, strength, and hope, and um, hope and pray that something that I say resonates with some of you but if it doesn't I'd just say just keep coming back because as newcomers you will definitely hear from many people and some of their stories will be exactly what you need to hear so if it's not me come back anyway hear the next person so where it began um I was always a fat child I I think I was fat from when I was born um and I was and am a member of a loving family my parents did everything they could for me one of my earliest memories is I used to spend a lot of time with my grandma and um, she used to feed me biscuits all the time, little treats after school. And one of my earliest memories is her giving me a plate of biscuits and my dad quite crossly saying to me later, how many did you eat? And I said, oh, I think I ate four. And I definitely, definitely had eaten eight. And this, I must have been about six or seven. And that was the beginning of my lying about food, both to myself and to other people, uh, which came then being dishonest about other things. But I think from that age, I routinely just said about half of what I'd actually eaten to anyone who um, asked me. And it really stayed like that for the next four decades. I was completely deluding myself. Probably wasn't deluding anyone around me, to be honest, but I was attempting to delude myself. Um, my dad, who was also um, and, and is a big person, um, I think probably wanted to save me from the fate of growing up as a as a fat person. And he definitely did what he could. No judgment from me there. Um, but this was 1980s in England. And that meant calorie counting, restricting, writing down what I'd eaten. So I was only nine or 10, if that, when I was put on my first diet. And I'd have to write down every night exactly what I'd eaten, look through a book to find out how many calories. And, uh, you know, you can guess, I just wrote down about half. 
I left out anything that I'd managed to scrounge from friends at school, get from my grandma, steal from the cupboards, just left all that out. Um, and as I grew and left home, really my, my powerlessness over food just accelerated and was propelled as, as I was the first person in my family to go to university and that my eating was really propelled by being a student and that the party years as I call them um uh so going out drinking dancing and I'm not addicted to alcohol like I am to food but certainly that drinking was a gateway to to binging for me and really my whole adult life was fundamentally one of dishonesty on the face of it, I've had a successful career. I've had lots of international travel as part of my job. I've had increasingly senior roles in, in not-for-profit organizations. And I have and had cultivated an image of someone who was changing the world. Um, however, on the inside, I just felt miserable really and ashamed. I lived in a lot of shame every day in my life. And by age 35, I was morbidly obese. And I, I had tried everything, pay and ways, internet solutions. Uh, I moved to Africa for three years. I thought I might get thin there. Nothing worked. Um, if it did, it was very temporary and the weight always went back on and then more. Um, when I was 36, I was pregnant. And sisters, if you've ever been fat and pregnant, you will know some of my pain. Um, my pregnancy was deemed high risk because of my weight, which meant it was very medicalized. I had a lot of extra scans and I could never see. There was never a clear image of the baby on the scans. And I discovered why after a few scans, there was a note on my in my notes to say that the images were blurred because of the layers of fat obscuring the view of the baby. Um, when my baby was born, I was, I was and am totally consumed with love for him. He is nearly eight now. And it, it quickly became clear that I'd given birth to an extremely active child. He started to walk when he was 10 months old. The day after he walked, he ran and he hasn't stopped running since. And I tell you, by the time he was two, I couldn't catch him. I could not catch him. I couldn't run fast enough. I wasn't fit enough to keep up with a two-year-old. I also couldn't play football, dance, play tennis, do any of the active things. He wants to try any sport and I just couldn't do it. So I turned into the mum that would drive him around all his activities and just sit at the side in shame and pain that I couldn't be the mum that, that joined in. I was just too big, too unfit. My body wouldn't do that. And at the same time, I was too big for public transport. Flights were humiliating. I broke chairs, broke into beds. I couldn't reach my own feet. My personal hygiene wasn't great, to be honest. I'd go for days without properly washing. My skin was always really flaming red. And we don't talk so much about our skin, I, I find in OA. But I had acne until I was in my mid-30s. And then without a gap, it was replaced by rosacea, where I had lots of red blotchy skin and blotches, lumps on my nose that were painful and made me feel really ugly. Um, I wasn't a happy person. And at the same time, I was creating chaos at work. And I really was, just like it says in the big book, the actor playing the director. And I was always moving people around, trying to get them to follow my script, really, uh, the leeway, as I now call it. And it was just really driven by ego. 
and self-will, even though I told myself and told those around me that I was changing the world. So this was for the greater good, but it, it, it was just ego. I mean, who am I to change the world? And then in summer 2021, something significant happened. Um, a very good work friend of mine just called time on this work chaos. She called time on me. She said some things that really cut to my core and really hurt me about my actions at work, how I was using and manipulating people. And she said that to protect herself, she wanted nothing more to do with me. She'd become one of my best friends. And this was like the worst breakup I've ever had. It was worse than any romantic breakup I'd been through. Um, for three days, I couldn't eat. And you guessed it, somewhere in my crazed brain, I thought, oh, maybe like my heartbreak from my friendship loss, maybe that will help me lose weight because now I can't eat, I'm too sad. But after three days, after the first three days, I thought, well, let me just try a little bit. And then I did not stop eating for six months. And I had always binged. My food had been out of control for years, but the final six months of 2021 was just completely on another level um, of eating. I would hide food around the, uh, around the house. I would eat for hours in the evening. Food would, I, I'd feel it in my throat. It would affect my sleep. Every feeling I'd ever had, I would just try to stuff down with food. So by Christmas 2021, I was really on my knees, very desperate. And I just knew, frankly, that I would die an early death. It was really inevitable the way I was going. And I just used to hope. I didn't pray, but I used to hope against all hope that it wasn't while my son was still a child because I just didn't want to leave him an orphan. And I used to just live in this fear night after night. I was also, needless to say, spiritually bankrupt. I had no concept of God at all. I was a very committed atheist, very angry at the state of the world. And then something happened. And I wish I could tell you how, um, but I can't really. And now I think, well, it was just a God job, but somehow I found out about OA. I must have done an internet search, but I have no memory of it. I must have found the Zoom details for the OA, the UK early bird meeting. And I just rocked up there in a Zoom room the first Saturday of 2022, but no memory how. And now I just think, Mike, was that 10 minutes? Oh, thank you, Roy. Um, now I just know that my high, higher power must have just taken my sorry backside and put it where I needed to be. Um, I'd also love to tell you that my first impressions were, hey, I'm home, I've arrived. No, I thought I knew better. I was shocked. I came here, I came to the OA meeting and I saw what I would now know as happy, joyous and free people. And they freaked me out. I thought, who are these people? Why are they so happy? What do they want? Um, and they were also talking about God, which was a big no-no for me. And I remember a newcomer greeter calling me after my first meeting. I know and love this woman now. And she talked about her abstinence. And I said, oh, that must, that's amazing. Congratulations. And she said, oh, it's not me. Nothing to do with me. It's my higher power. Well, I couldn't hear this. I didn't want to hear it. I really thought I knew better. Um, however, I kept coming back. And when I look back and... Like, why did I keep coming back? Because I certainly didn't understand the people I was meeting. But somewhere in me, I got a feeling that they understood me. And the true fact of it is, 
I had nowhere else to go. I'd reached the end of the line. I'd love to tell you I was inspired, seized by hope, but really it was the gift of desperation in those early days. I was so desperate, had nowhere else to turn. So I just kept turning up. I think that saved my life. Um, so I just wanted to say why this particular meeting is really, really special to me. And I don't always make it because I work on a Wednesday. But after about three weeks of going to different OA meetings um, and getting calls from like the suspiciously nice ladies who are now all my friends, I started quite tentatively, warily to think about sponsorship. And I spoke to a couple of people, one of whom offered to sponsor me. And I remember reaching out to one of the nice ladies and saying, I just feel like I need to talk to someone who knows what it's like to be really fat in this society and to live with that shame. But maybe that's selfish. Maybe like th this person who's offered to sponsor me should be my sponsor. And my friend said, listen, it's not selfish. The secret to finding a sponsor is looking for someone who has what you want and asking them how they got it. That's your starting point. And she said, so you need to come with me to the 100 pound meeting on Wednesday. So I said, okay, I did as I was told, desperate you see. And so I came here. And it's here really that I really started to feel at home. And actually at my very first 100 pound meeting that I came to, I actually found my sponsor um, in the newcomer breakout room at the end of the meeting. Um, and actually the truth is my sponsor found me. I was in no fit state to find her, but I think God pointed her in my direction and I was really too desperate to question it. She told me what was gonna happen. She told me what was gonna happen and I said, okay. And how glad I am that I didn't question it because my sponsor has helped me unlock my connection to my higher power and has guided me through the steps that have helped me to, to live in recovery to this day. So just to say from this point, this story gets better, more cheerful. Um, just to say about working the steps, I worked those steps like my pants were on fire. I definitely had doubts about this higher power business, but again, that gift of desperation just kept me moving forward. And in the early days, like three things definitely helped. Um, one, my sponsor told me not to worry too much about a concept of God or having to believe in God and reminded me that all I needed was to be willing to believe, to give it a go. And I had nothing to lose. So, okay. The second was that the right outreach came at the right time. And I remember a very particular conversation with a woman who said, oh, Lee, chill out. Like, all you need to know is, do you grow your own hair? And I said, no, I don't grow my own hair. She said, do you grow your own nails? No, she said, so there is a power greater than you growing your hair. And this was like a light bulb to me. I was like, well, if that's my starting point, I think I can get behind that. I can manage that. Um, and then I started to think about my garden. I live in a flat four floors above a really busy South London road. And I have a little balcony garden, but it's a concrete jungle out there. But still weeds grow through the cracks in my balcony. And I thought, OK, nature's bigger than me. The universe is bigger than me. And then the third thing that happened was I had a realisation, God given now, I'm sure, that I should accept gifts from the universe and not just get over consequences. There were no consequences, just accept gifts. And that was a real shift in my own acceptance of a power greater than myself. So, for instance, in the summer, for about three weeks, 
everywhere I turned, I saw feathers. I'd sit down on a bench, there'd be a feather next to me. I'd walk down a new path, there'd be feathers on that path. And I just thought, I'm accepting these feathers as a gift from the universe. So through the steps, I call it a gentle and gradual spiritual awakening. Sometimes it was yo in my face, but other times it was gently like a shift in my consciousness. But I started to pray. I discovered two-way prayer and spiritual practices very much based on nature and divine feminine. Um, I read and reread We Agnostics and my sponsor. It's a very important chapter of the big book for me. So I just wanted to read very quickly on page 46. It said, we looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking, when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. And then later on the same page, page 46, it says, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another conception, another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction and provided, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. For us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, for all men and women, obviously. Um, and I love those passages and it, they really reassured me that all I had to do was to be, to be willing. Um, my sponsor asked me to write an advert for a higher power, which is a really powerful way of calling in my higher power. And the one I was looking for turned out to be purple and sparkly and um, feminine presence in my life. And then I started to ask that higher power for guidance. And, and just sit and listen for an answer. I asked about work, which was still a very toxic environment. And it was very difficult to be living in recovery in a situation I partly created of toxicity. Um, and through my writing and prayers, I kept getting the same message. End this path, the next path will rise to meet you. And I thought, wow, I can't just resign a job because I get a, a message from God. Um, but after a few weeks of getting the same message, I thought, you know what, maybe I can. Um, so I did resign my job and um, shifted my whole thinking about my work from really from one of kind of ego and driven from ego and self-will to one of service and contribution. And now I work for myself on a mix of short-term contracts and consultancy work. It's relatively stress-free. It's very fulfilling. I literally couldn't have dreamt it. And I couldn't have dreamt it because it does need faith and trust that the universe will deliver the right work at the right time. And it's only with recovery that I've been gifted that, that faith and trust. And, and it, does, it does come. Now, I wanted to just talk a bit about steps eight and nine. And I could really talk about all the steps all day. Um, but these were the steps where I really, truly started to feel the promises coming true. Um, in my life. And just a reminder, step eight is made a list of all persons who have harmed and became willing to make amends for them all. Step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
So I made my list. And you remember at the start of this talk, I talked about my friend who had called time on me, called time on my work chaos and our friendship. She was over it. Um, also on the list was my first serious boyfriend, my first true love from my mid-twenties. And in both of those situations, there were really strong, valid reasons to not contact them, to not disturb their life. Remember, unless it would injure them or others, there's no need to go and make someone else's life a misery. So I agreed with my sponsor that I would write to them, not post the letter, but read the letters to my sponsor, which I did. So at that stage, my former friend hadn't spoken to me for a year and she'd made her boundaries very clear. Two weeks after I read that letter to my sponsor, thank, thank you, Roy, acknowledged. Two weeks after I read that letter to my sponsor, um, that friend was out on a run and at the top of a particularly gruelling hill, her phone somehow accidentally called mine. 9.30 on a Sunday morning, I saw her number, panicked, nearly didn't answer it, took a breath, listened and answered. It was awkward. Um, she was breathless. I was a bit shocked. But the first word she said was, oh, I think my ancestors spoke to your ancestors and said, for goodness sake, let's get these two women speaking. And as a newly spiritual person, I was like, that is exactly what happened. So I was able in that moment to make some initial amends to her. And we agreed to meet for coffee. And then I was able to, to make my amends to her. And today we're rebuilding a different relationship. It's not the same, but we're rebuilding our relationship. Um, two weeks after that, my ex-boyfriend called. Out of the blue, I hadn't spoken to him for seven years. And all previous, all our previous interactions had been full of remorse, regret, angst, anger. And this time he was calling me from a totally different plane. He just he didn't want anything, he just wanted to check in. Um, and again, I was able to make my amends to him for my part of our failed relationship and the hurt that I'd caused him. Um, and we were able to have a really beautiful conversation about how much we would always, always mean to each other. And we did that with really loving boundaries in place, no expectations. It was beautiful and really uncomplicated. And I've heard from him once or twice since, no, nothing, you know, just uh, nothing complicated. So for me, these were really beautiful experiences. And if I had any doubts remaining that a power greater than myself was at work in my life, those doubts left me at that point because the very people that I needed to make amends to called me seemingly by accident, one of them, right after I had read um, the letters to my sponsor. Okay, so I said I'd get practical and, you know, as 100 pounders, we do have to really get real about what it takes to, to get well and to stay well. Um, and so I just wanna run through what works for me. So I've been abstinent now for 14 months and I still work the program like my pants on fire. And frankly, I have to because I am and always will be a compulsive overeater and compulsive overeating is a disease that is working hard to get back into my head every day and I have to work harder than it and do my part 
so that my higher power can do theirs. So I do make the programme the most important thing in my life, bar none. And I don't say that lightly because I'm a mum, I've got a full-time job, I'm a charity trustee, I'm a governor. I tried explaining all this to my sponsor around step four, going, oh, but you need to know how busy I am. And she said, mm -hmm, yeah, I hear you. And you also told me that you would lose all this if you stayed in the food. And at that point, I knew she was absolutely right. And since that moment, I know that this has to be my number one because I get to keep everything else and keep it in a more beautiful and more fulfilled way when I am well. Um, so I use all the tools. I go to a meeting every day, sometimes more than one, just for fun. I do at least three outreach calls, some of them really quick, some of them longer with my buddies. Um, I do at least a step 10 every day. I have the same step 10 partner who I absolutely love, speak at eight o'clock every morning to flush out any fear or resentment that we wake up with. Amazingly, amazing how well you can get to know someone from a 10 minute conversation in the morning about our fears and resentments, but that works really well for me. Um, I try to share at meetings and I do service at meetings. I sponsor and I call my sponsees, I call my sponsor um, all regularly. I also try and go to face-to-face -face meetings when I can and meet up with fellowship buddies when I can. So I've definitely driven across both Southeast England and Northwest England to, um, to meet up with people that I've met in these rooms. And I pray and I meditate. And um, for me, mainly my prayer is through writing a two-way prayer. I write to God, I breathe, listen for answers. And I do it all really willingly doesn't feel like a chore feels like my life and I do it because I really will always be a compulsive overeater my recovery can only ever be one day at a time and in that day in every day I really have to do my part to work harder than my disease works and to stay really really close to my higher power so that I can live according to their will and um, live as I'm meant to live in this world. So my recovery has been physical and being delivered the body. That means that I get to be the mum of a sporty kid and I get to kick that ball around with him in the park and shoot a few hoops. And the shame has been lifted around my body. But more importantly than the physical changes have been the emotional changes and the spiritual changes. That have just had a enduring, wonderful, magical, miraculous um, effect on my life. So I'm going to leave it there and um, hope that some of you have heard one or two things that have resonated and really looking forward to hearing your shares. Thank you.